Welcome back to the most accurate podcast here at 444 Football. As always, I'm your host, John Daigle. Joined today, two weeks removed from the NFL draft and projections cave, none other than the man himself and friend in life, John Paulson. Paulson, Well, I wish I, I wish I was removed from the rankings cave. I'm almost done with the 2023 projections. It's a long, arduous process, but it's time-tested, and our subscribers love it. So just we got to have patience to do it right. Don't you think, John? We shouldn't rush this process. We should not. We still have four months to get through to talk about the same players over and over again, so please take your time. Uh, everyone can also go to the Underdog Rankings page we have set up. I used your never-too-early projections along with my own. Educated guesses on ADP as players continue to surge and dip over the next couple of weeks as ADP settles. And we're going to get all into all of that today because you would think the news has slowed post-draft without OTAs happening just yet, but not the case because I went back and I watched every single post-draft press conference for everyone. And I think there are a lot of takeaways for fantasy relevant news to get into. So before we begin, a quick reminder that everything that we talk about here is on the YouTube page, but everything you hear on the audio feed of the Most Accurate Podcast is on YouTube. It's not on YouTube. So you want to go to the YouTube page to get this extra content that we're giving out. And not only that, but you can become an exclusive member. You can get perks uh, such as live stream loyalty badges, exclusive emojis, including my bald head. That was a producer Sal idea, not my own. Priority reply to your video comments and most important, merchandise promo codes. So when Paulson and I show up pre-show with the same red shirt, just know you can show up in show and chat with us and not only have your questions answered, but also be wearing that red shirt with a promo code. So just $2 a month, go to the youtube.com slash at 444 slash join. 444 YouTube page should be able to find through the YouTube homepage as well. So let's begin. Rookies are all the rage right now, Paulson. And so I want to begin with Bijan Robinson, because upon drafting him, number eight overall, Arthur Smith did come out and say, we love Bijan's versatility. We're going to move him around, use him in the slot. Now, I know every coach dreams of using running backs in the slot. Not only that, Denny Carter of NBC Sports Edge was kind enough to point out on Twitter that Bijan played literally nine total snaps from the slot in his final year. So, the point is not that he's going to be used in the slot. The point is that they envision versatility for him and him being used all over the field in every package. More importantly, we talked about rookies on last week's episode. We now have an ADP because two weeks into the best ball mania four drafts, Bijan Robinson is going as the RB2 overall at 6.9 ADP. Usually people are trying to decide between him, Stefan Diggs, or Tyreek Hill in that range. So knowing that you've been dabbling in projections, especially as the RB1s are moving along, where do you have Robinson ranked? Do you think RB2 is an egregious setting for him? Yeah, I was just looking at that, looking at the ADP, and I guess it makes sense if you look at it within the context of Austin Eckler kind of being, his future being uncertain with the Chargers, Jonathan Taylor coming off of a disappointing year when he was you know RB1 overall, most most rankings and ADP uh, Barkley uh, ha- hasn't signed. We're going to talk about him a little bit later. So the next guy that's like rock solid in my opinion is Nick Chubb, uh, Tony Pollard, Derek Henry. I think these guys are pretty solid, but you could certainly make the case that Bijan being 
uh, you know, generational talent, as they say, going to a run heavy uh, offense. The the uh, the Falcons ran the ball 559 times for 2,718 yards and 17 touchdowns last year. And now you're adding this wonderful running back to this mix and uh, likely to see tons and tons of work. Uh, running backs that go this early typically see close to 300 total touches on average. I certainly see him being a dual threat. The only concern I have, I guess, is that they did not throw the ball a ton to their running backs. Uh, Algier had 16 catches. Cordell Patterson, a, a very good receiver. He's obviously been a receiver most of his career, only had 21 catches on 31 targets. Avery Williams, 13 catches on 14 targets. So not major, major usage for the running backs last year. Obviously, they don't throw the ball a whole lot, 415 attempts last year. So that's the one concern in terms of just cranking him up in PPR formats is that you know maybe we're not going to get 50, 60 catches like we'd love to see from our number two uh, running back, but uh, you know, thirty-five is probably uh, probably doable. I do view him as a top-five running back, if only because Saquon Barkley, who we'll get into more in the weeds when we get there. But I will have Bijan Robinson hundred percent ranked over Saquon Barkley, who is currently going as the RB five. So that already tells me, okay, Bijan will actually be a top-four running back for me. And if the rollout, if all the dominoes fall correctly for him then he likely could finish as the RB2, RB3 overall. So not so much egregious, but when it is a player we haven't seen in the NFL, yes, I can understand pause. But at the same time, it's a Falcons offense, as you mentioned, second most running back carries per game last year. Not only that, but led the league and run play rate from neutral game script, so within six points of their opponent, which tells us their intent, that they want to run the ball and did nothing at quarterback outside of adding Taylor Heineke for competition. So it seems like an offense that's just going to lean on now who a running back who got picked inside the top 10 selection. So yeah, nothing crazy. But I guess at first glance, it's just hard to swallow that pill of the number seven overall pick in drafts being Robinson, being a player we haven't seen yet. Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's more about there being some weakness uh, in terms of the uh, stability of Eckler, Taylor, Barkley uh, in that in that group right there. It's easy to see him leapfrog them based on what's going on with them this offseason. T- T- Taylor, not so much, but Eckler and Barkley certainly have some question marks around him. Well, let's get into that because the number two RB3 overall in drafts currently going at the turn 12 ADP is Austin Eckler because unlike a lot of GMs who dance around the hypothetical offers they've received, Chargers GM Tom Telesco came right out post-draft and said he didn't receive a single trade offer for, for Austin Eckler during the draft. And just given the landscape of the players that were available in the draft, but also where running back contracts are nowadays. Even Jarrett McKinnon, remember, he went on that torrential tear over the last month of the season as literally the RB1, and he didn't sign till post-draft back with the Chiefs because running backs, finally general managers are understanding the context of these players and their lifespan in the NFL. But now we can also look up and say, oh, well, not only did they not get a trade offer, so Eckler's still on this team, he's also obviously sco- combined for 38 total touchdowns the last two years, and the Chargers didn't draft a single running back. So where do you stand on Austin Eckler thinking this is the same exact situation as last year? Uh, 311 touches last year, 13 rushing touchdowns, five uh, receiving touchdowns. He had 107 catches for 722 
yards. Uh, so valuable last year in fantasy leagues. Uh, I think from a real world standpoint, uh, you mentioned the stock or the value of running backs going down. I think teams are a little leery about trading for a soon to be, he's turning 28 next week, soon to be 28 year old coming off of a, you know, a big, big workload, extremely talented, but what sort of contract does he want as part of this trade? Uh, and they probably figuring, well, if, you know, he's going to be available next year, we can get him in a, without having to trade for him and get him at market value, as opposed to what he's telling us that he's, you know, you know, we, we trade for him, we have to give him a contract. So I think that's probably the real world situation from a fantasy standpoint. Uh, it sounds like the last I saw with, with Eckler is he was saying worst case, he's going to play on his last year of his contract. He's making about 6 million plus for his last year of his contract. So it doesn't sound like he's going to hold out. It doesn't sound like he's going to uh, miss time this year based on uh, his trade demands. So if he's back, he's probably a little disgruntled, uh, but he certainly has all the uh, encouragement in the world, motivation in the world to have a bit, another big season so he can try to cash in on a three or four year deal next uh, next year. So I'm going to have him ranked really high, top five, uh, obviously a terrific player in a offense that I'm pretty excited about with Kellen Moore joining as the uh, offensive coordinator. You and I have Nick Chubb around him, but obviously Chubb is still going late second round. Eckler's being drafted, as I mentioned, in the first round. So uh, it's a situation where people have to either avoid him at that cost and wait for a Chubb Pollard who are not increasing in their ADP and drafts right now, um, or maybe just sit out altogether. But that's something to be decided as we move along. Someone else who is right around that mid-second turn selection is Saquon Barkley. And Giants GM Joe Shane came out and said he finally had contract talks with Barkley, which was the first time the two talked since Barkley was initially tagged. And Shane pulled back the deal that was initially offered in order to give Daniel Jones instead the lucrative contract since they could only decide between one. Barkley won't reportedly sign his franchise tag so we're still at a standstill with that organization and given that we had pre-draft buzz connecting this team to B. John Robinson to Jameer Gibbs just other running backs I do think RB5 his current cost in the mid-second is quite lucrative especially because we're not expecting him to lead the Giants in targets again that's the point I keep hammering home like to go out and add so many different kinds of receivers and trade for Darren Waller tells you that there's no way Barkley will lead this team in receiving again, which is obviously a, a huge detriment to his fantasy points. So I think, unlike Bijan's ADP, I think Rock, Barkley's is quite egregious right now, but your overall thoughts on him? Yeah, I mean, I would agree that the receiving options around Daniel Jones, around Saquon Barkley have improved, and that typically puts pressure on you know, the player like Barkley who saw 76 targets, 57 catches, 338 yards uh, last year. So, I mean, he, he had a big role in the passing game, but it wasn't monstrous like Eckler's was. I mean, 57 for 338, no touchdowns. That's not a huge drop off if he goes to 40 for 250 yards. Or something. That's not going to drop his fantasy points a whole lot. So I still think there's quite a bit of upside here. I mean, he, he really made his hay in the, with the, 1300 yards rushing 10 touchdowns um and then like i think a deal probably gets done i don't know how quickly but uh, you know the giants they have playoff aspirations they have you know I, I assume they have super bowl aspirations 
you know, are they really going to go into the season with Matt Breda, Gary Brightwell, Eric Gray as their top three running backs, or are they going to get something done with Barkley? So the question is, what is he asking for? Is it so egregious that the Giants can't do it? Or is there a way to make something work with him? And I think probably uh, Giants fans will put enough pressure on the organization to get something done. So I have him, uh, I mean, I don't have the rankings done, but I assume he'll be a you know late first rounder. I think that this whole situation probably downgrades him a spot or two because we just don't know for sure if he's going to suit up uh, 2023. But I, I think in all likelihood, they get something done. And you ask, how can you move Barkley down? Who would you then put over him? And I would simply say right now, Nick Chubb and Tony Pollard, for example, are going behind Barkley when I believe both should be going ahead of him. And that brings us to Pollard because he's going right around Chubb at the end of the second round instead of at the beginning of the second round. And Jerry Jones came out. He says a lot of things, but he said the ship hasn't sailed as it pertains to signing Ezekiel Elliott. We haven't made a decision at all. I haven't ruled out Zeke. And right now at that 23.2 ADP second, third round turn, we know Pollard, one, only has competition in 5'5", Deuce Vaughn, who I like as a player, but let's get real here, and Ronald Jones, who again, let's get real here, and then also, we know in two career starts for Ezekiel Elliott, Pollard has finished as the RB1 and the RB3 overall on those two weeks. So your thoughts on Pollard, whose ADP remains buried at this time? Yeah, I mean, he, he finished RB7 last year with Ezekiel Elliott healthy for most of the season. So uh, I think he's being drafted. Uh, you know, we wouldn't call it his floor. I mean, you could you could conceivably see him finish lower than this if, you know, certain things happen. But, you know... Even if Zeke comes back, you're going to get the RB7 from last year at the RB7 ADP. So it's not like you're drastically overpaying. Uh, if Zeke doesn't return, then Pollard should you know, be top five just based on what he did last year and then the number of touches. And you know, your touch tracker, I think, underlines that how much work is going to be dispersed amongst the, the crew here. And Pollard should see an uptick in touches. So, you know, having him, you know, at the end of the second round seems like a very good deal. You could end up with Christian McCaffrey and Pollard uh, as your top two running backs or B. John Robinson and Pollard. That's a pretty strong start. I, I got him, I believe, in the fourth round in our first four for four mock and felt very fortunate. But I think RBs were falling a lot in that mock. Uh, he's just a super talented player. He's playing in a great offense. Uh, we do have the, the change here to Mike McCarthy. He claims he wants to run more. I saw some uh, I saw some tweets about that yesterday. And as a Packer fan, it's hard to take the last few years of the Packers and, and McCarthy's tendencies too seriously because Rodgers was overruling his play call left and right. We don't know what McCarthy really wanted to do those last couple of years because uh, Rodgers was doing pretty much whatever he wanted to do uh, in the huddle. Uh, receivers were having to pick sides between McCarthy and Rodgers, and they typically picked Rodgers. So we don't know what he wants to do. If he does want to run the ball more, he might actually want to run the ball, and it might be more than what uh, they, they ran with the Packers uh, uh, late in his career there. But regardless, Pollard's a good fantasy pick, uh, and I, I think at the, 23, at the pick 23, I think it just underlines that RB7 going that late uh, especially, you know, at underdog and half PPR, it really, has, how far the running back position has fallen relative to receivers and even tight ends. 
A player you're not getting a discount on, which is where my confusion comes in, is Brees Hall. And Robert Sala did come out post-draft, and he said that Hall has, quote, looked really good over phase one, and then he literally knocked on wood. Uh, phase one, of course, being the recovery from Hall's torn ACL suffered last year midseason. And Hall is going as the RB10, 28.2 ADP, mid-third round, basically. Do you think that's enough of a discount given that we know from the work Adam Hutchinson, um, Edward, uh, all the all the Twitter doctors out there who know much more on this than us have, have emphasized that ACLs are all different. We know Javante's, for example, Javante Williams was violent and one we should avoid. But Brees Hall, even if he recovers, it still seems like they're playing the long game here for me, which makes RB10 something I, I don't want to take part in. But your thoughts on that? I could see your perspective on this. I don't know what exactly I would do. I haven't started drafting uh, best ball yet. Uh, I'd like to get my rankings first done first. But um, I think with Hall, you look around the you know the guys around him, and you can see why he's going where he's going. Uh, Josh Jacobs, Derrick Henry, Pollard are the three guys ahead of him. Uh, a little more solid in terms of injury uh, injury health and all that. Below him, Ramondre Stevenson playing for the Patriots, who traditionally go RBBC. Maybe there's a little bit of worry there. Travis Etienne, they just drafted a running back. They don't want to over overwork him. Jameer Gibbs coming into uh, Detroit. We don't know exactly what his role is going to be. Najee Harris, Kenneth Walker just uh, is dealing with a, a new uh, arrival, uh, rookie arrival. Uh, so I can see why drafters are going, well, this is a tournament. I want the upside at the end of the year. So I'm going to draft Brees Hall and, you know, maybe he's a little shaky the first week or two, but my team can get by and then I'll have him for the stretch run. And he's one of the most talented running backs in the league. He was fantastic when he was starting to get lots of touches for the jets. And this offense is going to be a lot better now that Aaron Rodgers is uh, the quarterback. So I could totally see the, the case. I think there is a little bit of drop off in terms of between, between uh, Jacobs and Hall in terms of, a solid pick and the certainty in the higher floor. Uh, but everything we're hearing on Hall is that he's healthy relative to his recovery and that everything's going well. So I think people are drafting with that uh, assumption in mind. There has been a constant drum beat throughout the offseason of using Miles Sanders as a three down back. He came out post draft, mentioned that he wants to be a weapon in the passing game for this team. Deuce Staley, not only Sanders' position coach in Philadelphia, but currently with the Panthers, has mentioned throughout the offseason that he wants Sanders to be a three-down back again. And then post-draft also, GM Scott Fitterer came out and said Sanders is a three-down back who can be the outlet in the receiving game. Not only that, but we know that his competition right now is negligent. Chuba Hubbard, Raheem Blackshear, and Spencer Brown, and... Sanders, not only the most guaranteed money of all the running backs in free agency, but also the only one to sign a four-year deal beyond that three-year contract that most others, David Montgomery included, received. So I still think Sanders is a value in best ball drafts, given that people are incorrectly looking at how either Frank Reich or Deuce Staley dispersed running backs in the past, given that Sanders' target share, in my opinion, dipped in every season in all four years with the Eagles because once they added a rushing quarterback, we know historically rushing quarterbacks target running backs the least. So what are you doing with Sanders this early in the process? Yeah, you summed it up. I think this is 
you're looking at Sanders as a rookie, came out, he had 63 targets, 50 catches, 509 yards, three touchdowns, and then he did catch more than 28 passes his next three seasons. I think the concern with Sanders and giving him all this extra work is that he, you know, he played 17 games last year, but prior to last year, he had two two back-to-back seasons where he only played 12 games, and you're a little you were heading into last season thinking he was a little injury prone or had a tendency to get nicked up, and you weren't going to have him for the full season. He turns he turns in a full season. Uh, he got he's got his contract, and now he's going to be the bell cow in theory for. Uh, the Panthers. And if he is, then he's going to be a good value at RB 17. I've noticed that his ADP has ticked up from the 20 range up to 17, it seems. Uh, And I think this talk about him catching the ball more, there's some, there's some credence to it because he did have that season of 50 for 509 and three as a rookie. Uh, He should be better at it now uh, having three more years of experience, but the, the Eagles, for whatever reason, gave those snaps to somebody else He's perfectly capable of it. So if he gets 250 plus another 50 catches, now you're looking at 300 touches, and he's he's going to be a bargain at RB17, assuming he can hold up. The Steelers have obviously put an emphasis on the trenches. Uh, Steelers assistant GM Andy Weidel came out post-draft and said, we want to be a big physical team, and he showed that in what they did this offseason committed a complete overhaul in their offensive line by signing Isaac Ciamalo and Nate Herbig for a combined $32 million guaranteed. They obviously leapfrog the Jets to four left tackle Broderick Jones, who will no doubt in my mind beat out Dan Moore at left tackle. And then, of course, added six foot seven, 265-pound blocking tight end Darnell Washington and did not draft another running back here. Everyone wants it to be Jalen Warren. But everyone forgets that once Najee Harris got a chance to recover from his ankle injury post-bye, from week 10 on, he was a totally different player. 74 rushing yards per game, also went back to averaging three targets per game. And so last year, whereas we talked about it all offseason, how he was an egregious first-round pick, being incorrectly drafted there, now we get value because he's being treated as an RB2. So what are you doing with Najee Harris? Yeah, if you look back at Najee's season, he still had... 10 total touchdowns, seven rushing, uh, three receiving, 41 catches, 272 carries. It wasn't an efficient, it wasn't an efficient season because you know, 3.8 yards per carry, but he started off so slow. Uh, and as you mentioned, after the bye, you know, the he started racking up the 20 carry games left and right. So, you know, you his his RB 14 ADP, I think amongst the guys that he's going around there, he's got a really high floor because, you know, they showed last year what they want to do with him and they're not going to just hand the keys over to Jalen Warren. Uh, They want to run the ball. Uh, This should be improved. And and I think the big thing, you know, for him is that he's now a year removed uh, from the injury and should come into the season fully healthy and maybe should be going closer to the first round than, you know, he is. I mean, he's going pick 39. I don't know that he should be a first round pick, but, you could certainly make the case second, third round that he should be up there with the Ramondre Stevensons of the world. Dalton Kincaid has gotten steamed of late, as most rookies have. But when Bean, general manager for the Bills, addressed the media, one thing he kept mentioning is Kincaid's elite hands and that the team would use more 12 personnel this season. Josh Allen, of course, 
averaged the league's or totaled the league's fourth most pass attempts against two eye safeties last year. So adding another weapon to this offense to be used underneath over the middle of the field was always going to happen. But right now, Paulson, as the tight end 11 overall, because that's where Kincaid is going, as a rookie tight end who won't lead the team in targets since Stephon Diggs still exists in this universe, I cannot wrap my head around that ADP and think the steam has gotten far too much as a low-end tight end one. So your initial thoughts on Dalton Kincaid. Yeah, I was wondering where you were going with that. If you thought that this was egregious uh, ADP, I was like, I just pulled it up and I was like, oh boy, it's there. He's way ahead of Dawson Knox, which you know, t- tight end eighteen for Knox. Um, Knox is a really good athlete, so just go up, go to a player profiler and pull up Dawson Knox one time, just to be surprised by his athleticism. Um, I don't know. I just wanted to mention that the Knox gets kind of a bad rap, so I don't know that Kincaid is going to come in and immediately surpass Knox in catches we know how rookie tight ends tend to fare I do think he has like interesting tight end two type upside but the fact that he's being drafted tight end 11 ahead of Dalton Schultz who is extremely likely to lead the Texans in targets uh Cole Komet who came on last year Chega Konkwo uh who was really good last year Greg Dolchich uh good good in his stretches last year that's a lot. That's that's a lot to ask of a rookie to come in and kind of beat those vets out who have two or three years now uh, or more of experience. Um, so I wouldn't be touching him at that ADP. You know, if he was available 12th, 13th round, I would start to think about that. Uh, I mean, I do like the idea that they're going to play more 12 and he's going to basically be their slot receiver. Um, but there's no guarantee that he's going to be playing 70, 80% of the snaps uh, from the get go. I mean, I think he might be in for kind of a slow start here as he tries to, to learn the NFL. Everyone has been trying to parse Seattle's offense and Pete Carroll, when asked about potentially using more three wide receiver sets said, quote, we really like our tight ends. It's not to try to get to three receivers. We want our three receiver play to be better and we need to be better on third down. We'll still mix it up. He also indicated something we already knew, given that Jackson Smith and Jigba only ran five routes from the boundary last year, that JSN would start out in the slot in between DK Metcalf and Tyre Lockett. And right now, as it shakes out, DK Metcalf, mid-third round pick, 29.5 ADP, JSN, 58.1 on average, and then Lockett, of course, as he always falls behind the three, despite not deserving to, 68.4. So what are you doing with these three wide receivers in Seattle? Well, at least, you know, I, I, I just pulled up this ADP as well. Um, to see JSN ahead of Lockett is pretty surprising. Uh, I mean, Lockett's ADP is at least in the sixth round. I mean, that's a reasonable ADP for him after last year. He was ninth or tenth round and a great, great, great valuable value pick. But I think people now are baking in the fact that Geno Smith is decent if to good and bumping up this whole receiving core. But, you know, Lockett, I believe, has outscored Metcalf the last couple seasons. So Metcalf going. Go ahead. I don't mean I don't mean to cut you off, but like I'm excited about this stat because I'm going to keep hammering it home this offseason because I think it's ridiculous. Uh, The last three years, Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf have played 64 games together, and Lockett has finished with 12 top five weeks. Metcalf has finished with four in that time. So like Lockett is actually the significantly better player for fantasy to your point, but he's never treated as such. Never. 
And I, I would add to that, if you can, pull up the yardage, just fa- average fantasy points for each player over that span as well at some point when you if you want to expound upon your Lockett Metcalf, uh, because I'd be interested to see if Lockett has outscored Metcalf. But he Metcalf just consistently goes ahead of him. Um, I think people are, you know, ageist in in uh in fantasy football. Uh they're ready for these old people to go to you know put them out to pasture. And I think they do it too quickly, a uh, year too too quickly, almost every year. Sometimes I get I get caught holding the bag where a guy falls off the, a cliff uh, a year earlier than I thought he would. But uh, just looking at this, I wouldn't go with Metcalf uh, at wide receiver 15. I think he's a great player, but you know I'd rather have Lockett at wide receiver 32 at, as part of this offense. And I think Smith and Jigba is probably going to have a tougher time getting on the field. I don't think they're going to bench Tyler Lockett in order to get the rookie run. I think he'll play, but he's probably just going to be in on three receiver sets. And it sounds like uh, Carroll is happy with their two tight end sets as well. So it's not like that's going to go by the wayside. And that just means, you know, 50% snap share for JSN. It's what you mentioned when I look up Lockett and Metcalf, just in terms of total scoring, because Lockett finished as the wide receiver 15 points per game last year. DK Metcalf, the wide receiver 27. So again, it's Lockett who's being underappreciated among these three. And I do definitely want to slide Smith and Jigba into some of my Seattle stacks because he is the kind of contingency receiver we should target. Someone who, if everything stays in place even, could finish second on the team in targets. But if one of them gets injured, and both Lockett and Metcalf have been injured at some point the last three years, Smith and Jigba suddenly a wide receiver two on this offense who could lead the team in targets. So it is a player we still want to get at value. But right now, the value, because these things are so fluid throughout the summer, right now the value is Tyler Lockett. And that's the point I want to hammer home for sure. Yeah, I I think it would be a lot more palatable if he was going like pick 90 to take him as a contingency receiver as opposed to pick 58. That's the bottom line. The Commanders apparently have their quarterback in place because Ron Rivera came out and said the team is very comfortable with Sam Howell entering camp. Now, they gave Jacoby Brissett more than backup money, roughly $8 million, one-year deal. And so that does not tell me that Brissett will start. That tells me that this is Hal's job to lose. And it's not necessarily that he's going to lose it, but the fact that he at least gets to start with it and he provided a rushing floor for fantasy, I don't know if that means he'll keep his job. But I do know he'll at least start with this job, and that's who I want to target. And it's an important point, Paulson, because – A lot of people are trying to get that QB3 in best ball drafts right now, and it comes down most of the time to either Hal or Brissett. So where do you lean this early? Again, I lean towards Hal. Yeah, I mean, they keep saying that they like Hal and they're comfortable with him, and that's that's good. I think Brissett's like the backup option if things go haywire and they want to try to stay in the playoff hunt. They know that he can at least manage game manage. Um, last year he had one start Howell did, uh, 11 for 19, uh, 169 yards, a touchdown, uh, one interception. Uh, he ran the ball five times for 35 yards and a touchdown in that game. So his value comes from his rushing. And if you go back and look at his last year at North Carolina, he ran the ball 183 times for 828 yards and 11 touchdowns. And that yardage, uh, people forget. Uh, include sack yardage like so there's it's even more than that if you take out the sack yardage in college so 
he's he's one of these guys that projects to 35 or whatever plus yards in my rookie uh, quarterback model. He's not a rookie anymore, but he's going to run the ball a lot. Uh, if he's even decent as a thrower, he's going to ha- you know be fantasy relevant. Uh, and looking at his college stats, you know, 92 touchdowns versus 23 interceptions, uh, 3,586 yards as a junior or as a sophomore rather, and 3,056 yards as a as a junior. You know, his accuracy isn't what I would like. 63.8 in college is, eh, but you know, if he's decent as a thrower and can run like he ran, uh, even in the one start plus preseason plus what he did in college, then he's going to be a, a, a good fantasy value. The question is, can he hold on to the job? Well, those in the Brissett camp are arguing that a fact that Brissett's yards per attempt career, 7.1, is the best for any quarterback who has ever thrown to Terry McLaurin. But I would also say, okay, 7.1, that's not a point to make for Brissett. It's a point to make of who has thrown to Terry McLaurin. At least give Hal, like, who we don't know his ceiling. Maybe it's not great. I don't know. But at least give Hal a chance here to beat 7.1. So the fact he's going to start with the job, I want to at least bet on that he'll keep the job. We'll see how their ADPs fluctuate, though, as the summer months roll on. I would add that, you know, Howell, in his one start, 8.9 yards per attempt. And he averaged 7.0 yards per rush. So he's almost as good as a, of a runner as Brissett is as a thrower at this point. So I, yeah, give him a give him a shot. Also lost Desmond Patton, Dami Brown, and Michael Carter, and hit and Javante Williams in his final year at North Carolina. So four NFL players right there. Not to mention some offensive linemen who got drafted too. Travion Williams began making news. I blame underdogs Josh Norris for finding this nugget, but we now know that Bengals running back coach Justin Hill came out and said Travion Williams quote is reliable. He's got the confidence of everybody on the staff. We know what he's going to do when he gets his opportunity. He got on the field in front of Chris Evans is what he meant to add in here, but he got on the field in front of Evans only because of how well he played last year. Zach Taylor followed that up in his conference as well and said, that's why we brought Travion Williams back for more opportunity now that Samaji P. Ryan is gone. And so what this tells me, Paulson, is that with Travion going undrafted in the best ball drafts, is that he at least will start out with this backup running back job over Chase Brown, who is now instead being drafted in the 14th, 15th round as a player who is thought to be the contingency option to Joe Mixon. I don't know if that means Williams will keep the job over Brown, but he's at least going to start out with it. So I think there's a reason to at least draft both behind Mixon. Uh, What round did uh, Chase Brown go in the draft? Fifth, which was pretty good as a workhorse from Illinois. We, we thought he'd go last round. Okay. So, I mean, they're not using that sort of draft capitalism and saying, oh, we, we're planning our flag on this player and we plan to give him a role in year one. So we got to listen to what they're saying about who's going to play when and or you know who's, who's impressing. And it does sound like Travion Williams is the backup to Joe Mixon. And Mixon's on, I would describe it as thin ice. I don't know how you would describe it. I need to look a little bit more into his legal situation if there's uh, – perhaps a suspension looming or any other re- I, I don't like I think I mentioned it last week or the week before that I don't think the Bengals are the type of franchise to part ways with players that have off the field issues I think that if the player is valuable and he's not too egregious uh, or they can stomach it they'll keep them they're not, they're not too worried about it so you know P Ryan Samaje P Ryan signed up uh, with the Broncos and uh, that's Mixon's primary competition 
Uh, so Mixon looks like a pretty good value right now. And Williams looks like a he's going RB 102. Uh, and he is very likely the backup in Cincinnati behind a player who I described as being on thin ice. Uh, you could get there. He could be a value just based on injury uh, attrition. Uh, you know, Mixon gets gets injured, misses some games. Or if something goes on with his off-the-field issues and all of a sudden you might have the Bengals starter at pick, you know, RB102. I mean, it's it's a screaming value right now in, in uh, early drafts. It also reminds me of how people incorrectly viewed Tyrion Davis Price's stock last year because the 49ers had other running backs who would be active, guaranteed for special teams. And you look, Travion Williams was the team's primary kick returner last year in the playoffs as well. And Chris Evans was their primary punt returner. And so that tells me those two guys will be active every week, too, for special teams. Can Chase Brown do that, I think, is a significant question, which turns me off on him at his current ADP. Another running back winner was Isaiah Pacheco. Chiefs head coach Andy Reid came out and said that Pacheco is doing well after two offseason surgeries to his hand and shoulder. Jarrett McKinnon obviously resigned to this team after finishing that final month, as I mentioned earlier, as fantasy's RB1. Um, in his age 31 season, a career-high fantasy points, which also tells you it's probably going to regress. But right now, either way, Pacheco's going as a low-end RB2, RB23, around 60 ADP. So what are you doing post-McKinnon signing with this backfield? Yeah, and I think the thing that jumped out to me with Pacheco uh, is just how hard he runs. Uh, it, it, you know, So I, that is fun to see. You know, you're kind of rooting for him. Uh, and, you know, really good speed for where they got him in the draft. Like, just a nice value. But that just kind of shows you what the running back depth is on a yearly basis uh, in the college ranks and getting into the NFL. But uh, the issue with Pacheco is he doesn't, really catch the ball. He's not targeted too often. He had a maximum of three targets uh, last season. Uh, most of that receiving work came late in the year. Uh, it was basically him and McKinnon down the stretch. And he was seeing 14 to 22 carries for most of the season. He is a touchdown threat, but he still only averaged 0.29 touchdowns per game. He had four in the last seven games. Uh, so there is that. Uh, and he has some decent yardage upside, but I think, you know, I think you mentioned RB he's going RB 23. 23. Yep. Yeah. That seems reasonable. I mean, it's low end RB two, high end RB three. Certainly the McKinnon signing takes a little bit of, uh, receiving potential out of the mix. So, you know, McKinnon played so well down the stretch that I think they were pretty happy with their one, two punch. And then Clyde Edwards Hilaire is just going to be a, a backup this year. Eight of McKinnon's nine receiving scores last year came in the final six games when he scored a receiving touchdowns in six consecutive games, also averaged a touchdown for every 3.3 catches in that span. So it just tells you that although he was amazing and, and will probably open as the team's receiving back, like that kind of production just won't happen again. He, he just can't go on that kind of torrential tear. So it's certainly something I want to avoid. Probably do want to get my hands on Pacheco, and I'm still the sucker that drafts Clyde Edwards-Lair in the later rounds. You don't have to be. Well, Keep you know, I could just mention that McKinnon is going RB45, so that I don't think it's really adjusted maybe to him returning to the Chiefs, but we'll see where that lands. But that's pretty good value for uh, the bat. Even He doesn't have to do what he did last year to return that value uh, or to be even a, better, a lot better value than that. And then you just look at the at the receiving options there in Kansas city, they lost Juju Smith Schuster. Uh, 
and I think we're going to talk about uh, the receiving core here, but it's just, it's kind of a mess. There's lots of opportunity for McKinnon to kind of repeat, not repeat, but have another good year uh, receiving the ball. We are because Chiefs GM Brett Beach, Beach came out and said, quote, I don't know if there's a limit on Kadarius Tony's game because he has a vertical game. Unquote, and I need to unquote because Veach is a liar. I don't think Tony has a vertical game at all. Uh, but ADP is settled, and right now Tony has a 77.2 ADP. Sky Moore is next up, much later, 126 and a half. Rasheed Rice comes in at 136, and MBS last of the big four at 158. Tony, of course, pause and remember whenever even Judas Schuster was out with a concussion, the chips were down. Tony Steele was running fewer routes than Justin Watson. They never used him as an every-down receiver. And now they added Rasheed Rice, who played 83% of his routes from the boundary in 2021 and 97% of his routes from the slot last year, suggesting that he can have success, hyper-success, no matter where he lines up because he's adept at every position on the field. And so I don't believe this at all. I'm not going back to those eight snaps from the Super Bowl when they touted him then as well. But your thoughts on Kadarius Tony? Yeah, wide receiver 37 going ahead of Traylon Burks, who's going to see a lot of targets in, in Tennessee. Deontay Johnson, one of the best uh, route runners in the league, should have a bounce back year if Kenny Pickett can throw some touchdowns uh, occasionally. Gabe Davis, Brandon Cooks, Jahan Dotson, fantastic uh, rookie season. Missed some time during injury, but a really, really, really good route runner. Um, even going ahead of like Michael Thomas, who could have – uh, a bounce back year for the for the Saints. So this is tough. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't look at Tony in this with this lens and have him this high. I think when you, I think when fantasy owners are looking at this or fantasy managers are looking at this receiving core, they've got to prop somebody up. And I think this is a situation where they're it's Tony. He might you know get there on a weekly basis with some rushing, um, but he's he's going to need. Uh, you know, four or five catches, 50 yards, receiving the occasional touchdown, and then adding 20, 30 yards rushing or something uh, with the occasional rushing touchdown, which is not totally outlandish for, for that to happen. But I'm just not sold that they're going to play him enough given his skill set relative to everybody else uh, in that in that receiving core. I think the way you ranked it was kind of funny that they people are, you know, on the Sky Moore train, uh, over, you know, given his disappointing rookie year, um, Matt Harmon says he's a really good route runner uh, coming out of college. would like to see a second year leap for him uh, over Rice and MBS, who will play just because of the contract they gave him uh, and his overall speed. So it's an interesting crew. I think we know Travis Kelsey and uh, we know that uh, Jack McKinnon is going to be a pretty good value. Sean McVay and the Rams added Zach Evans to this backfield on day three. And McVay afterwards, post-draft, said that Evans, quote, has some special traits. This is more about what are you doing with Cam Akers, though, after he went on that tear in the final month of the season, averaging 21 touches per game to put the cherry on top of that wild 2022 season where they tried to trade him, so they healthy scratched him. They, of course, couldn't find anyone to take him post-Achilles tear, and they brought him back when they were basically tanking and then used him as an every down back to success in those final couple of months. So what are you doing with Cam Akers, who currently is rounding out the top 24 running backs as the RB24 overall? Yeah, I mean, this is this is one of the weirdest seasons I've seen from a personnel standpoint. You know, 
basically benching him and then turning around and giving him 23, 19, and 21 carries in the last three games. He delivered uh, 4.95 yards per attempt minimum in the last four games. Uh, went over 104 yards in the last three games. Uh, had six touchdowns in his last six games total. And even caught six, seven, eight, nine catches in the last four games. So uh, I would say now that he's this far removed from his uh, Achilles injury that, uh, you know, he's he's looking like he's going to be the lead back at least uh, for the Rams. I mean, they have Kyron Williams, Ronnie Rivers, and Zach Evans. When did Evans go again in the draft? Uh, I think it was sixth round. Could have been seventh. Let me make sure. Yeah, I think it was sixth. I mean, they're they they're gonna they're gonna use acres again and and it's gonna be a 15 to 20 touch a week type of a type of a deal and finally the jets as we know have made many signings Randall Cobb included this offseason but Robert Sala again came out and said Corey Davis who we thought would be cut to save roughly nine million against the cap after they added all these receivers said Davis will quote be on this team and then he also mentioned that Last year, when Davis, when he got hurt, we got small at receiver pretty quick. And what that tells you, tells me anyways, is that whenever they did not have Corey Davis to play that bigger role in the boundary, like now they have that ideally with this offense. They have Garrett Wilson, Corey Davis, and Alan Lazard to back up one another. And whomever they throw in the slot between Randall Cobb and Nicole Hardman, although I think Nicole is going to be more of a gadget player we want to avoid. And so... Yes, Garrett Wilson is a wide receiver one. But right now, go ahead and talk about how you think the rest of these receivers fall out. Well, I think Lazard has the advantage heading into this season because he's got such a good rapport with Aaron Rodgers. They're best buds. They're going to all the NBA games and sitting next to each other, and they're on the Instagram together and all this. So, you know, Corey Davis is a good uh, producer. He's been a good player in the league. Uh, I wouldn't have hated if the Packers had gotten him in the via the trade just to have some bodies at receiver. Uh, but from a fantasy standpoint, I don't, I'm not confident in him at all uh, with Hardman and Cobb. They're nipping at his heels. Cause you know, Wilson's going to play, you know, given the contract that they gave Lazard, that he's going to play a lot. Plus Rogers wants him out there. Um, I would lean that, you know, Lazard is going to have a better fantasy season than Davis, even though, it, you know, in a vacuum, Davis is probably the better player. And Paulson that wraps up, the veteran news, at least for the most part, post-combine presser. What do you have on the site coming out for everyone this week? Well, I think next week we'll be able to talk rankings. So uh, we'll get we'll get the projections up uh, either this uh, Friday or over the weekend, Monday at the latest for everybody to see. And then we can do a deep dive into it uh, next couple pods. Best ball tiers will also start rolling out next week too. So I think we'll have a lot of rankings to discuss next week. Until then... Everything you want post-draft is on the site and for free for the most part. We have underdog rankings. We have mock drafts up, rookie drafts up, my rookie tiers and rankings up if you have rookie drafts going on. So just make sure to check all that out because everyone worked their asses off these past couple weeks. But until next week, we can actually talk more rankings. You know what to do. Be a little bit kinder than what you thought. We'll see you next time.